Hello, welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. Let's take a moment to pray, and we're going to dive into this new year. Lord, thank you that we don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. And so in advance, we hand you this big year, 2019. And God, we pray that you would this morning solidify hope in us, true hope. We pray, Father, that you give us eyes to see what you see and hearts to believe. We pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope so. This is a phrase we use over and over again. I hope so. Is he going to be home in time? I hope so. Are we going to get a pay raise next year? I hope so. We use hope over and over again in our vocabulary, but we've actually changed the meaning of hope. We actually use it to mean, I wish so. I wish. You remember how we used to throw pennies over our shoulder? I wish I may, I wish I might. That was 100 years ago. That's how we use hope. And it hurts us as Christians to not know the true meaning of hope and use the word hope properly. We do the same with other words like love. Uh, You know, when uh, two people are getting together and, and the man says to the woman, I love you. What the woman is trying to figure out at that moment is what does that mean to this man? Is it that one big word that's reserved for just me and hasn't used it and won't use it? It's just me. Ladies, am I right? Yeah. And so now, for the next few days and weeks, she's watching him to see how he uses the word. And she feels encouragement or despair based on what happens in the next few days. Goes to the refrigerator, gets some peanut butter, says, I love peanut butter. (laughs) Guy comes into the room, high fives him, says, love you, bro. I love this weather. And she's now getting nervous. Because she doesn't know if this is a big word to him or if this is a very small word. And the same is true with hope. How big is that word hope that we use and, or how small is the word? So we've done these two things. We've reduced hope to wishing and we've also tied hope to temporal things that come along day by day. Years ago, I was riding with a friend. I was invited, I was in high school, I was invited to go up with a friend and his family up to Yosemite. And uh, I was a year older than this guy, and he was 15 and a half, and so his dad invited him to drive part of the way up to Fresno on our way to Yosemite. And so there we are on the freeway in the fast lane, and uh, every time a semi would pass us on the right, he would veer towards the semi. Not good. (laughs) 
And we would all kind of freak out in the, in the car. And so his dad, who's sitting in the front seat with him, starts watching him. And what would happen is he's concentrating as he's driving. And as this big, huge, monstrous truck comes up parallel to us, he would begin to get nervous and start watching it and start concentrating on not pulling over towards the semi, which caused him to pull towards the semi. And so what you're instructed to do in driver's ed is to fix your eyes about 150, maybe even 200 feet, maybe 300 feet in front of you, but nowadays everybody's so close, you know, it's kind of scary, but you look down the road and aim towards that, the middle of the road. Now we don't even think about it. But it's true in all of life, whatever you look at, you tend to go towards. When I played football, it was the same principle. Wherever your head went, that's where your body went. And we do the same with hope. Whatever we're hoping for is what we aim for. And because we've made it, these temporal things that we're passing through life, we're hoping for those things. And those things often don't go our way. And we end up in despair or we end up hopeless. All the studies are showing us that we are a more hopeless society than we were decades ago. I don't know what the measurement of hope is and how they keep this uh, data, but the idea is that you and I, in our well-being, even though we have more than we've ever had, even though our socioeconomic strata is higher than it's ever been, we are measured as a less hopeful society. And I think partially it's because we've redefined hope to be wishing and we put our hope in temporal things. So, for example, by the way, I will get to the scripture in a moment. <laughs> for example, geopolitical situations in 2019. I don't know. Tension with China, Russia, Iran, North Korea, Afghanistan, Syria, and then just your average terrorist wandering the planet. Do I hope, meaning, do I have confident expectation that everything will go well? I wish it will go well. I pray it will go well. A recent article came out, just uh, Reuters this week, regarding persecution of Christians. I'm so glad that people are actually finally exposing what Christians around the world go through. It's not to say we're the only people group that go through tough things, but did you know that 215 million Christians were persecuted in a sizable way in 2018 on this planet? And did you know that 250 Christians were killed monthly on this planet. Do I hope that you're not persecuted and killed in 2019? I wish so, but I don't know. Am I raising your angst? <laughs> Economics. Do I hope 
that everything is going to go well, your, your economic status on this planet, I don't know. I wish so. Do I know that the stock market is going to just flatten out at the highest level it's ever been? Beats me. I doubt it. Roller coaster. I wish it will be well. What about your health? I keep having friends that just are at the peak of their health. And, they, and just suddenly, they have this disease. Suddenly, this thing happens. And I think, oh my gosh. I thought we were invincible when I was a teenager. Do I hope that your health is perfect for 2019? I wish so. I pray so. I wish you don't even get the flu. Interpersonal relations. These are all the semis that are going to pass you in 2019, okay? And, and I'm trying to help you to understand you're going to veer towards those and put your hope in them as they're passing by. Do I hope that Cousin Eddie doesn't show up at your house for Christmas in 2019? I, I don't know. She falls into a well. No, no, I won't go there. So I don't know. I can't control people in my life. So I want to encourage you as you go into 2019 to establish your resolutions, to establish your goals, all that you're going to, but those are going to be short-term goals that you have control over. You don't have control over economics. You don't have a control over uh, what Washington does. You don't have control over your health, largely, uh, somewhat, and you don't have control over people. But what you do have control over, control it well, make your right decisions, your short-term goals. But here's where I want to go the rest of the morning. Make them in accordance with your long-term goal. Aim for that and put everything else in perspective. So, Einstein. Einstein said this. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. And so my goal this morning, my short-term goal, is that you and I would not go into 2019 the same way we've gone into every year, uh, putting our hope in things that cannot ever satisfy, that cannot be what we expect it to be, and put our hope in something bigger. So everybody take a deep breath. Okay, here we go. Isaiah 26.3, you will keep him in perfect peace whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. So that's what we want to achieve as we go into 2019. How in the world does that perfect peace happen? Isaiah 42.9, see the former things have taken place and new things I declare. I'm just going to give you a potpourri of, of scriptures and I'll put them all together in a moment. 
Isaiah 43:18. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Isaiah 65:17. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. Revelation 21:1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the older things have passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Can you say that? I am making everything new. Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. This is hope. The words that are trustworthy and true and where you and I are ultimately headed. I make all things new. We're going to talk about that. I grew up in Orange County and... um, Everybody who grows up in Orange County knows about Saddleback Mountain. So if you look at Saddleback Mountain, kind of, I I look at this and I think that this looks like it's probably taken from the foothills of Irvine or something like that. Uh, But if I grew up in Santa Ana, so we didn't have this clear view. And for nine months of the year, the smog was so bad you couldn't see it. Uh, But winter was amazing because you could see the mountains and it was crystal clear and everything. But... I didn't know that this was anything but just a mountain range. It's the Santa Ana Mountains. And that's a picture of what Isaiah was seeing when he's prophesying. He's seeing that God one day is going to make all things new. The setting for Isaiah is this. Uh, He's prophesying 700 B.C., The Assyrians from what we would know as northern Iraq, they have come and they have pillaged and conquered the northern kingdom of Israel, the northern ten tribes. Judah is biting her nails thinking, are they going to get us? Is this the end of us? And, and, And where is God in all of this? And Isaiah, in prophesying, wanting to bring hope to the people of Israel, sees in his vision a mountain range. He sees what's coming, and he sees what God is ultimately going to do. I make all things new. And he begins to prophesy that, giving hope to the people of Israel. He doesn't tell them all the details of everything that's going to happen. He does eventually tell them that Babylon is going to get you, Assyria won't. He does eventually tell them that Cyrus is going to bring you back 
after the captivity, but he doesn't know all the details, but he's not aiming at the details in the semis that are going by. He's aiming down the road at what God says, I make all things new. Now, go forward 700 years and 90, and you come to John the Beloved, who is John of the Apocalypse, the writer of the book of Revelation. And God gives him a vision, and God speaks to him. It's a different context. The Romans have conquered the world. The Romans are occupying Israel. John has been persecuted. He now is on on an island because he's a Christian being persecuted for his faith. And God speaks to him and says, Behold, I make all things new. So coming back to this mountain, if you come closer, which I eventually did riding dirt bikes, if you come closer to Saddleback Mountain, uh, this is what it looks like. I don't know where this is taken from, Santa Margarita or something like Does that sound right? Um, never been there, but it's a beautiful little village, city. Uh, you can see there's actually a valley between the left peak and the right peak. And yet, Isaiah sees it from afar off and just sees it as one mountain. John, now, a little bit closer, sees he still makes all things new, but what Isaiah was seeing was in between, the valley in between is between Isaiah and John. And you now and I we live in this valley. <laughs> we are in the in between where we we didn't know that there was a first coming and a second coming, right? And now we're waiting for the second coming of Christ, but the question is what do we put our hope in? And the hope hasn't changed. I make all things new. So what I want to do this morning is, this is going to be topical. If you're new here, you're not going to get the typical expositional scripture teaching that I normally give, but I'm just going to give you some bullets of truths that hang on this hope, and my goal is for you to go into the new year like a tailback who has the ball, and you're not aiming to just get by this linebacker. You are aiming for the goal. Okay, so the first thing that Isaiah Isaiah promises a day of new beginnings, and the first thing is that our biblical hope is on this concept of newness, starting over. If you take a quick read, and it's a long read of the sixty some odd chapters of Isaiah, you'll you'll realize that Isaiah is obsessed with this word new, kadash. And, and he uses it over and over again. He talks about new things, new thing. I'm doing a new thing. He talks about there being a new heaven, a new earth. He talks about you having a new name, very similar to John saying that you're going to receive a stone with your new name on it that no one else knows. In fact, did you know If you want to read the book of Revelation, the best way to read the book of Revelation is to have the book of Isaiah in your left hand as you read Revelation in your right hand. John makes 40 references to Isaiah. 
So the things that Isaiah was seeing, John is seeing now with new meaning. And one of these ideas is everything becoming new. Listen, I'm just going to give you a scattering of them. He says, I bring good news to Zion. He says, I'm declaring new things. Sing a new song. That's not up there. Sing a new song. I'm doing a new thing. I tell you, new things are coming. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. The nations will see your vindication. All the kings will glory. You will be called by a new name. See, I am creating new heavens and a new earth. As the new heavens and the new earth Come, uh, I will make you to endure before me. So all of these things are to give them hope as Assyria and Babylon are coming at them. Now, if you were running for office, this would not sell. You know, if you're saying, hey, you know, I really don't know what to do with the economy. I really don't know what to do with all these countries. But I'm, I promise you, Hundreds of years from now, it's going to be amazing. That guy's out of office. (laughs) Because everybody has figured out, Americans, that our tension span is three months. And so if you can't fix me in three months, I'm moving on. And that's disaster. That's a recipe for disaster because my hope becomes all these temporal things that are coming at me. But God promises to make all things new. Number two, the fruit of this new beginning, you can be assured, is true peace, justice, righteousness, and love. Everything inside of us cries out for justice. It's not just a new fad that the millennials figured out this word justice. Uh, We've been crying out for justice forever. In fact, it's innate in human beings. Have you never heard your kids at three years old say, that's not fair? I look at when when Tim said that to John. He said, that's not fair. He got more than I did. I looked at him and he said, where did fair come from? Have you been to Planet Fairness? Have you seen fair? I I haven't seen it on my planet. Where did you come up with that? It was just spontaneous regeneration coming right out of him that he somehow knew that it was supposed to be fair for humans. We want it to be fair. We want there to be justice. It's innate within us, but we do not see it. And once you begin to think you got it, oftentimes all you've done is taken two more percent out of their pie and put it into your pie, and then you said, there, that's fair. But... Is it really fair? Is it really justice? When someone says to me, I want justice, I say, whose justice are you asking for? We often don't know how to deliberate true justice. So the passage here, the fruit of this new beginning, is telling us that there will one day be true justice. And it says in Isaiah 9, 6, the reason for this is unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. Ultimate justice is coming because of Messiah, 
because of this child who's going to grow up the person you and I know to be Jesus Christ. And there's many other passages in Isaiah that talk about this fruit of righteousness and justice that's ultimately coming. We are largely naive as a people. There's a great movie out, um, by the way, by Peter, Peter Jackson. Jan and I saw it a couple of days ago. We took our fathers, uh, even though they were in World War II. This uh, movie is about World War I. And um, you might want to check it out if you get a chance. It's called They Shall Not Grow Old. And what Peter Jackson did was take a lot of the footage that's available for us from World War I, and he uh, used modern technology uh, to put higher definition to it and to put color to it. And what happens is these men and women, they come alive. Because you and I think of World War I, uh, 1914 to 1918. What was that? I don't know. And we do that with all the other wars that they fought and they were stupid and they didn't know what they were doing, but whatever. Uh, Did you know that uh, 16 million people died? Uh, Six, I think, million soldiers and 10 million civilians from that war. And another uh, 15 million were uh, injured, or maybe it was another 30 million. It's just nobody thought that humans could collectively do so much evil uh, towards each other. So when we emerged from World War I, we said, well, that was stupid. We'll never do that again. And it became the war to end all wars. This is the war that end all all wars, and then in the 20s and the 30s, we began to believe that there would still be wars, but they would be little skirmishes here and there because people knew better. Until 22 years later, World War II uh, began, and with higher technology and, and killing machines. And the point of this is that we don't know how to do it, folks. We we, we don't know how to do this thing called justice, where it's for every race, every gender, every nationality. We just don't know how to do this thing. But there is a day. Folks, there is a day where true justice will be on this planet. And what we want and what we cry out for is coming. And it's in the new beginning. We do our best to manage it, and, 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 and uh, you know, use our weight and influence to, to bring justice about, but there is a day. We are not hopeless when it comes to justice. There is the fruit that he's bringing. Thirdly, Eve, uh, this overhaul is more extensive than you and I want. And again, as Americans, we don't want an overhaul. We just want you to fix this. We just want you to fix that. But when God comes, I'm warning you. (laughs) He's going to fix everything, including you and me. It's a big overhaul. Isaiah 65, 17 says, Behold, I will create a new heaven and a new earth. Again, in Revelation 21, 1, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. You and I would say, well, You didn't have to go to that extent. (laughs) 
you know, we just, we wanted you to just paint our room. We didn't want you to knock the house down and build a new bedroom. But this is the extent of the overhaul, and it's going to include a new creation. In Isaiah 65, 27, the wolf and the lamb will feed together. Now, I understand you guys are scientists, and you guys understand animals, and you understand that some animals are carnivorous, and some animals uh, just eat plant life, and and that's the way it always has to be. But God seems to be obsessed with not only fixing what's wrong with humans and fixing what's wrong with, with creation, but he's wanting to fix the idea that a wolf gets to eat a lamb. That there's going to be that degree of justice on the earth. The lion will eat straw like the ox. And I know where you're, where you're thinking, no, his digestive system is not created for this. You know? That's right. Everything's going to be new. In fact, a little child will lead them, and a cow will feed with a bear. And if that bothers you, let me bother you some more. The mountains and the hills will burst forth into song. And the trees of the fields will clap their hands. Paul says, all creation is groaning and travailing for the manifestation of who you are supposed to become. And it's all wrapped up in this new beginning that you and I are promised. And this new beginning includes you being changed at your core. So much so that your actions towards God and towards others change. The Bible says he will give you an undivided heart and a new spirit. The prophet says he will give you a new heart. The prophet says I will make a new covenant with you. So all of these things are happening, not only out there, but they're happening. The new beginning includes a new you. And if you ask why, it's all motivated by love. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Jeremiah says. So if God was running for office... And you say, what is this going to cost us? This sounds exorbitant. What is this going to cost us? Well, I'm glad you asked. The, the cost is profound. Isaiah 53, 3. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. The cost of it was what you and I now know that happened after the first coming of Christ was the crucifixion of Jesus. But that in itself is the guarantee that the new beginning, what you and I hope for, is actually going to happen. So the word hope, this word that we use flippantly in exchange for wishing, biblically, 
literally means confident expectation in something that hasn't happened yet, but factually and actually will occur. So we don't, well, I hope so. That's not the word hope. That's the word wish. The word hope is, I know so. I know so. Now, you and I know that uh, you don't automatically change. Uh, Isaiah also tells us that you have to want to change. He says, if you turn to me, you will be saved. Come. And he, and he asks us, why are you still doing what you used to do? Uh, spending money on things that can't satisfy, worrying about these things, come to me and I will change you. So come up for air for a second. Uh, let me give you an analogy. In sailing, uh, there's a thing called an anchor. And the Bible uses the anchor as the picture of hope, right? And so you decide that you want to, quote, anchor in this cute little cove, wherever you happen to be. And, and you drop your anchor off the bow of your boat. The question is, is that anchor going to hold you? It's a good question. I wish so. I don't know if it's going to hold you. I wish so. And there's some things that you and I need to know to know whether that anchor is going to actually work for us or not. So if you just, let's say you're 50 feet above the bottom of the ocean, you drop the anchor straight down, and now the winds and the currents come on, I can almost guarantee you the anchor will not hold you. Because the weight is directly below you, and the wind's going to blow the boat, and the boat actually is just a, a big sail to pick the wind, and it's just the anchor's just going to bob along the bottom underneath you. And then you say, well, what's the point of the anchor? The point of the anchor is to keep you steady and not move. So why isn't it doing what it's doing? There's a thing that you and I need to know. That anchor needs to be out away from the boat. If you said, how far? I would say seven to one. So if the water's 50 feet below you, you need to have that anchor 350 feet off the bow of your, your ship. And then when the winds begin to pull you, because of that angle out there, the anchor begins to dig. Even if it's in sand, the anchor begins to dig into the sand, and it can hold you at that angle. That's a picture of how you and I need to operate with hope. Once I decide that, no, my hope is in this thing that's far, far off called new beginning, that informs everything about me. And now my life is stable and still. I don't know about the economy. I don't know about your health. I don't know about those crazy people in your life and what they're going to say and do. And so I don't know about all the winds and the currents that are coming your way, but I do know who holds the future. And it's not a wish. It's absolute. It's an anchor you can depend on. Listen to this. Victor Frank, are you still there? Yeah. Okay. Um, 
Happy New Year. <laughs> Victor Frankel, not even a Christian, a disciple of Sigmund Freud. And, you know, Sigmund Freud, you know, he had some good things and discovered some interesting things and had some crazy ideas all in, in one. But basically, the, the idea is you actually could have been amazing if it wasn't for your mom and dad, you know. So we need to go back and fix this thing, you know. And so you lie on the couch here, and this is psychoanalytic. This is not what most therapy is today, but this... Uh, you lay on the couch, and, we, and because you don't actually tell me the truth that happens, I need to hear about your dreams, and I need to hear about your, your unconscious part of you to get to the real you. And so we begin to discover all of these different things and put them back together again. And so Viktor Frankl, now in World War II, finds himself as a Jew in a concentration camp, and it's not working. People are dying, people are starving, but mostly he's noticing as well that people have no hope. So he decides to do his own new therapy called logotherapy, and he asks his friend, he says, so what do you want to do when you get out of here? And he says, well, I'd really like to start my own new business. Talk to me about that. How would you do that? What are the plans? And they began to have hope. I want to get married. Talk to me about that. Who's the gal? How is that going to happen? And they began to think not about the prison, but they began to think 350 feet off the bow about this future thing that was going to happen. And do you know what happened? Viktor Frankl changed his whole therapy based on his experience in the concentration camp that people have to have meaning to live with hope. Now, that's just a principle of human beings in general, and it's true of everybody, Christian or not. But you and I have the ultimate hope, the ultimate meaning, and you and I should live with the ultimate hope. But if we denigrate ourselves to live like everybody else and say, well, I hope all these situational things that are in our concentration camp right now, the things I'm going through right now work out well, then it's just going to be an up and down roller coaster for you and me in 2019. When we get to the New Testament, it's a different story it's the Romans occupying instead of the Babylonians and the Syrians coming. But John now is a prophet who has seen Jesus, and now he's prophesying to you and me as Christians the same situation. In this dark time, I want you to have hope. That's the purpose of Revelation, and that's the purpose of the book of Isaiah. But the difference is when Jesus comes in the New Testament... He says this, repent for the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is near or is at hand. It's almost as if the future change that Isaiah saw has now partially stepped into the present in the person of Jesus. This is the, the thing that we didn't know about with Mount Saddleback, the fact 
that God was going to do it this way. There was going to be a first coming and a second coming. And heaven couldn't wait for the second coming. So it sends Jesus in advance, as you and I know, to not only die for our sins, but now to initiate change in your life and my life that's connected to the new beginning. Oh, Mark, I like that. Say it again. Jesus comes, and what he's doing in our life is not some aberrant thing. It's connected to the new beginning. Now, folks, this is big. I hope you catch it. Because if the salvation you have, if the justice you care about, if, if, if the way you treat people is not just things passing you in your, in your life right now, but it's connected to new, the new beginning, your resolutions that you make today are going to be connected to the new beginning. C.S. Lewis said that we are like paratroopers who have landed in advance of the rest of the troops. So we are waiting for the rest of the troops to come. We're waiting for the second coming. But we're already a part of the child who brings and the government will be as on his shoulders, the kingdom of God in his peace. So this is a big, big, big idea. I hope you catch it. If I was a better preacher, you would. <laughs> so Paul says out of this that a new me is available. The old has passed away, the new has come. If anyone is in Christ, there's a new creation. So this isn't just self-improvement. This is a new you. The New Testament says that it's legally bound to Jesus and his work on the cross when he said, it is finished. So it's not just a preacher's idea. This is legal truth. And he gave us the Holy Spirit to empower us to live in this new life. And as Isaiah said, we must want to participate. It's not automatic. It's by faith, me deciding, me choosing. But one day... This transformation in us will be complete and Christ will come again and there will be a new earth and everything will be put right everywhere in every way and there will be a new beginning and that is your hope. This is a day to talk about wars, but in, in World War II, as you know, D-Day took place where some 140 or 160,000, this massive amount of people, landed on the beaches of Normandy and, and began to invade Europe with the intent of conquering Hitler. And because of this massive invasion, so many lives were lost. But in that moment, in that, on that day, they broke because they were able to get a toehold, they broke the power of Hitler. And it took them, don't remember, the, I think it's 14, 16 months before the end of World War II. But D-Day was actually the beginning of the end. 
when Jesus rose from the dead, it was the beginning of the end and the start of the new beginning. And that's the way I live. I'm not just rocking in a hammock, drinking Dr. Pepper, waiting for the rapture. What are you doing? I really can't do anything until Jesus comes again. That is a pathetic way to live. The way I'm living is, is a new life because of Jesus Christ. I'm not perfect. I'm broken like you and me, but, and the world is broken all around me, but I have my eyes fixed on Jesus in this new beginning that's coming. I can't promise you what will happen in 2019, but I can absolutely promise you if you look beyond 2019 to the new beginning. Wow. I can absolutely promise you that. So what do we do? I'm so glad you asked. We predecide. We predecide where our hope is. Folks, do not put your hope in Sears. I mean, think of it. Sears is like the core of America. It'll never go under. Put your stock in Sears. Now, I'm not trying to rub salt in anybody's wound. My uh, father-in-law was way up in Sears. And uh, it's, we just don't tell him. So what do we put our hope in? Notre Dame? Sorry. Yeah, I watched all the games with you. So what do we put our hope in? It's easy to put our hope in short-term solutions. So how do we do this? Folks, please do not hear me be the Grinch of New Year's. I want you to set New Year's resolutions. I want you to decide what you want to be and where you want to go and what you want to spend your money on. I want you to have all your short-term goals. That's amazing. That's the only way you'll do life differently, but do it way differently by aiming for something that will never let you down. So what if you put your money on the house and you don't get it? What if you propose to the girl and she doesn't like you? (laughs) Whatever's coming your way, There's a hope beyond those wishes and fasten your anchor to these things. So I pray for 2019. I pray that the nations will have peace. I pray that all will go well with you in this country economically. I pray that your health would be wonderful for 2019. And I pray that you would have great friends and relatives and people around you. But I know, I know that the one who holds your future will never, ever let you down. And you and I will live forever and ever together in a new beginning. Let's aim for that. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness.
as we come into this new year, as we just kind of step behind the curtain into 2019, we're so glad that we have a God like you who's sovereign and has a plan and holds our future. God, we pray with the saints of old, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We pray, God, that you would be with our brothers and sisters around the planet that are clinging to you in desperate times. We do pray that you would give us wisdom to know how to manage our resources as humans on this planet, to know how to be better at loving our friends and and people in our lives, that you give us wisdom from the new beginning that would change in our thinking and how we live. But God, we we pre-decide to keep our hope in you. Come, Lord Jesus. Bring this new beginning that's in your heart. In Jesus' name, let's stand together. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.